Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Nora Shopper, the president and co-founder of HiBar, which is an eco-friendly health and wellness company that sells hair care and skincare products without any water whatsoever in their products or any plastic in their packaging. Thanks to her innovative solutions, Nora has eliminated almost 5 million plastic bottles and saved over 800,000 gallons of water since 2018. On today's episode, we talk about her holistic approach to running a company, what she's learned in her 28 years of successful entrepreneurship, gender equality in the e-commerce industry, and much more. Here's our interview now. Nora, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're extremely happy to have you. So first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company, Hello High Bar? Okay, great. So High Bar, we are a mission-based company. We're trying to inspire people to less dependence on single-use plastic. So we started that by redesigning personal care products. So We started with shampoo and conditioner. There are four of us co-founders in the company, and three of us are still operating the company. So my husband is one of them, which is a unique thing to be starting a company with your husband. But all four of us were parents at the same school. So we were all motivated to uh, help inspire people to use less single-use plastic because our children, you know, we want to leave them a planet for the future obviously. And we're drowning in plastic and things can be done in a better way. So we started with shampoo and conditioner. We um, took the water out of a spa quality formula or a, a salon quality formula. And we launched with solid salon quality shampoo and conditioner in October of 2018. And since then, you know, we're sold mostly in natural grocery stores. We also are sold online. So we have a website and we're sold on Amazon and, you know, on e-commerce eco accounts as well. So out of curiosity, do you have like any brick and mortar store? We do not have a brick and mortar store. No. Okay. Yep. Just partners with retailers. You know, what, what I'm hearing you say is that your big hook with High Bar is that your product and, and its packaging, I should also mention, has zero plastic. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but why is that personally important to you? Because again, that is kind of like the real main hook. So why why did personally you come up with that idea? Well, that kind of all happened through a lot of reasons. I mean, mostly because having kids and, you know, we're in Minnesota, which I know is landlocked. There's no oceans here, but the Mississippi River begins in Minnesota and the Mississippi River flows right down into the ocean. And, you know, it's just a beautiful part of the world. It's there's so much water. Minnesota is called the land of 10,000 lakes. And it's it's just a beautiful place. We're really outdoorsy people. We love going in nature. And we realized, you know, that basically you see plastic bottles and plastic bags. And we know that there's big garbage hole gyres of garbage in the oceans. So to get rid of plastic and so that we can leave a beautiful world for our children and, and the next generations. And also to show people and inspire people that you can rethink the way something is done and solve problems. I mean, our shampoo and conditioner is as good, in fact, probably better than um, traditional shampoo and conditioner that is in a bottle. That's actually 70, 80% water. So it's really watered down where a concentrated product or a solid product made without water, it's all effective ingredients. There's no water in there. So using it 
works better and it lasts longer. So really it's to leave a beautiful planet. But that's cool. I mean, it's literally not diluting the product, you know? Exactly. One of the things that's, that's interesting to me is that to my knowledge, plastic is typically used because it's the cheapest option. But, you know, when I look at your website, your product still remains affordable. So how did you retain such a decent cost while still elevating the product at the same time? Well, that's interesting because, you know, really it's all high-end ingredients too. Like a, a bottle, if, if you were to bottle our product and add the water, you know, it'd be $50, $60 at a salon because of the ingredient deck. And really, we just figured out that a way to make it, we had to do a lot of exploring to figure out how to make it. I don't know why they charge so much money for the watered down version, honestly, but we've figured out a way to make it efficiently, you know, on our own. And we can just afford the with with still decent margins to um, sell it for a lot less money. I'm not exactly sure how we did it in that way, but it is really high-end ingredients at an affordable cost. Being an innovator, something that I have looked at and and seen in the past is anyone who's generally coming into an industry, innovating on it, doing something that you're not supposed to do or breaking the mold a little bit, you might get a little flack for it. Have you gotten any sort of flack from that health and beauty wellness sector that is saying, you know, you're making us look bad or or anything like that from from this avenue? Surprisingly, no. You know, in fact, I, I think that even the other other people know now. So let me go back to kind of the history of shampoo real quick. Sure. Because shampoo and conditioner, like I said, is 80 percent water and it, it comes in a bottle. And the reason that that was it was invented is because we didn't, at at the time that shampoo came about, people would go out to have their hair done to a barber or a a salon, and they didn't have running water necessarily in their house or hot water in their house. And so they didn't have the means to do their own shampooing. So that's when shampoo was invented so that people could do their own in their house once water you know, before water was in their homes, really, and hot water was in their homes. And so people just continue to do that, not because it's a better way to do it. It's just because that's how they've always done it. And that's how it was introduced to them. So by eliminating the water from the formula, we are asking people to use something they've always used in a different way, which our, our biggest challenge or our biggest pushback is really educating people on how to use a bar, which is pretty funny because, you know, it, it's, you can use soap and understand how to use soap, but when shampoo comes in a bar form, it's confusing. Um, and it's just because it's always been in a bottle for this lifetime, but things are really changing. And now you're seeing, you know, all sorts of change as far as like household cleaning products that are in a concentrate that you just put in your own reusable bottle and add water um, and then you can just continue to refill that same bottle. So it's not just in personal care where the change is happening, but waterless products are are happening all over many industries now. You know, I'm sitting here looking at my like Nalgene bottle thinking people will eventually grow to love this idea, I think, as long as they're just not so, you know, risk averse to it. You right. can't walk around somewhere without seeing someone you know, you go to a gym, you go wherever you see people with a reusable bottle instead. So I can't ima- I can imagine how, you know, people are either using a reusable shampoo or 
going to something that just doesn't require any sort of you know, container like that whatsoever. So I think it's a great idea, you know? Yeah. And we do see the trends are all headed that direction as well. You know, all the, all the trend reports that we're seeing are showing more and more people converting to sustainable packaging and waterless products. It's just heading up. So we believe that in 10 years, you'll walk down the aisle of your grocery store. And if you see something in a bottle, you'll be like, wow, well, that's weird. (laughs) Why did that brand put it in a bottle? I haven't seen that. You know, like smoking indoors uh, these days. You used to be able to yeah, smoke anywhere, but now now you see somebody do that. Do you actually see that as, you know, the trend changing or do you see it as kind of like a, I don't want to say pandering, but companies that don't want to be late to the party. We don't want to be the ones that are still using this thing because I don't know, with most innovations like that, it feels like a company can look around and be like, man, this whole industry changed overnight and we didn't even realize it. So do do you think, you know, that trend is moving in that way because companies don't want to be the last one on the train or because they actually see the difference that it can make? I think that they're seeing the difference. And and honestly, it's, I think, it's consumer demand. Yeah. These young people coming up, you know, I, we hear all the time, like the 14 year old in the household is saying, I don't want to buy that mom. Don't buy that. Or dad, don't buy that. Let's buy this one and try this because they there's climate anxiety out there. That's real, especially for younger people who are seeing all this crazy, you know, weather changes and climate emergencies happening everywhere. No, I I think that's extremely valuable. So, you know, prior to High Bar, you were the co-founder and CEO of another holistic health and wellness brand called Bodylish. That's right. Yeah. For about 20 years, which, you know, you eventually sold in 2019. Can you give us a bit of background on that company as well? Sure. And really, I, that company led led to this company. So my husband was also a founder in, in Bodylish um, and High Bar. So that company, in, in part, it was 25 years because I was doing it part-time. My husband and I started that company actually before we were married. And then we, had, we got married and had kids. And uh, we took turns working outside of that business in order to pay the bills and keep it going. But that business, you know, we were making soaps and bath bombs and we were selling them to the natural food markets. And we realized through that, hey, why are we packaging all this stuff? We can make, we can reformulate things not to need a package. Um, and that's kind of where it all began. That job, that business, you know, what we had over 25 different products. And, you know, after having a company for that many years, we kind of lost focus, I would say. We we were really great about our ingredient choice and what products we were making. Like we were careful about that, but we still had so many products and so many different components to keep it going. It just got complicated. It was such a relief in a way too to come into High Bar with the mission because having the mission, we really use that as a filter for every piece of our business. Like even down to the employees we hired, down to like we've modified equipment in our warehouse in order to be sustainable, in order to meet our mission. You know, so we have the nation's only water activated box tape sealer. So we modified. So these are the boxes that just you just run them through this machine and it tapes them for you. Well, we had to modify that machine to take water so that we wouldn't use plastic tape. We modify machines. We have our pallet wrap 
is biodegradable pallet wrap. And so we had to modify our pallet wrapper to accommodate the size of this biodegradable pallet wrap. And then we created communication, you know, that we stick on the pallet to say, this is this can be composted. So save it and compost it. We just run everything through the filter, even our shipping. We decided to go with USPS, US United States Postal Service, because they rock the same route every day. We didn't want to go with you know, deliveries where they're driving the van to each house because that's worse on the, on the fuels and the carbon output. And so we really like run everything through the filter. No, that's great. So, I mean, it sounds like you even conscientiously picked places that or picked every single facet of the conception to the packaging to the distribution. What would be the most environmentally friendly? Yep. And we, and we continue to imp- try to improve. And, and honestly, it's employees too that bring ideas and they say, well, we could try it this way and that would reduce this. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. So once you kind of get down that, that road, you know, it's easy to have um, more ideas and bring improvement. That's awesome. I mean, I, I, I was going to say with that sort of experience and kind of a similar aspect, I'm, I was very interested in hearing how, you know, 20 years in that led to this and what you learned from that. And I, I think, you know, there is very little that has more value in terms of learning than the experience than actually doing. So I, I think that's awesome. It's true. So now, so in, in Bodylish, it was just my husband and I in that company. And I, you know, ran the production and my husband was was helping formulate And now my husband formulates for this company and I had sales in part because, you know, I had experience talking to the natural market and I had contacts naturally and you kind of know like the format. So without that experience previously, you know, really, we wouldn't know how to do this, which it really helps to have a little bit of knowledge. I still don't think I really know what I'm doing. (laughs) Does anybody really know what they're doing? Always learning. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, the, uh, the company was eventually sold. How did you approach that acquisition process and, and what did you learn from that? Oh, that was such a great learning experience too. So it was a different company, um, as far as, you know, how big we were as well. It was a much smaller company than high bar has turned into, but we started we had both companies for a while and we were trying to do both high bar build up high bar and do bodylish honestly high bar started in our basement cuz that's where we had the bodylish studio so we were even ske- having scheduling conflicts between businesses so at that point my husband and i were like okay it's time to just focus on high bar and so we did it because of the timing and everything, we decided to reach out to a broker, reached out to a local broker, and he helped, you know, find interest for us. And that was really fascinating. Of course, that business we had, we thought, well, what a, it was a great name for the company, Bodylish. We thought that was a fantastic name. And so we really thought, wow, this, this has got to be worth, you know, a lot of money to have the name, you know, and own that website. But really what it boiled down to is we got paid basically for the amount of revenue we made in a year uh, is, is basically how it leveled out. And, and to be honest, in that business, we had a lot of debt 
And so we really didn't end up making very much money. You know, in fact, very little money. We were just happy to make any money. But really that business, you know, it took so long to build up and it was a great business and we loved it. And we expected that we were going to make some good money, but that's not how it panned out. But the experience was worth millions. And it also sounds like the major benefit was it freed up your time to work on something that it seems to you had more legs had, you know, a, a better execution. Better you, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that's what the real benefit sounded like to me is sometimes it, it's nice to just, you know, cut it off and, and move on because it, it's requiring so much more was, time yeah. than, than you're willing to give it or able to. And a fresh slate, you know, starting fresh when, when you have knowledge and experience, it, it's like you start at a different level. And so that was really great. And, and honestly, our CEO, uh, his name is Ward. And Ward had pet food company prior to this, that he even had manufacturing and patents on his process. And he built it up and sold it. And I actually found out that he'd sold that company. And I tracked him down in the school parking lot because I knew what a smart businessman he was. And I was like, would you consult with me and my husband on Bodylish? So that's how we got him into the mix as he started consulting on Bodylish. And he was like, he said, what's your why? And we said, well, we think we can eliminate plastic. And he was like, wow, really? I need to be part of that. So when we started working with him is when we decided, okay, let's start over. Let's, let's create a new company, a new name. Um, it was getting too complicated to figure out what was going to be what with Bodylish. And then it was about another year before we sold Bodylish. So it took us a while to kind of get that up and running. Actually, it was more than a year. It's probably two and a half years or so. So we started working on High Bar and then we started having conflicts with the studio in the basement and, and trying to get it all done in a day. And, and then we moved forward with selling Bodylish. Well, it sounded like that that meeting with him was, did you say his name was Ward, was was pretty helpful? Oh, it was amazing. And, and I think that's where I was going with that. Like his experience, his company, uh, it was called Sojo's, the pet food company. And he sold to a big company called WellPet. His experience in figuring out manufacturing and growing and scaling a company. It's been so beneficial to this company. And then Jay and I having experience in the personal care area and in health food, you know, in, in co-ops and natural stores was super helpful. And then Jay being able to formulate, but that going back to what you had said earlier, like innovation often comes from outside of the industry. So Jay is not a chemist. He's, he's a potter. He does ceramics art and he grew up on a farm. And so he, he knows how to like, he fools around with, um, you know, glazes. He had formulated for, for Bodylish and different soaps. And so he knew a little bit about ingredients, but really it's because he's outside of the industry that he was able to break all the rules and come up with such an amazing formula for High Bar. Yeah, it's definitely a bit disruptive. I, I respect it. When looking at your professional experience, it seems kind of like you started Bodylish a bit out of nowhere and then it ran successfully for 20 years. You know, it's not like... You know, right. no, no disrespect, obviously. I mean, you had a lot of experience in, I think it was like wealth management and insurance and communications, yeah, communications. And, <laughs> and, and just general business. And then, and then a company for 20 years. So right. I guess my yeah. question is, how did you find success running that company with what seemed like little solo entrepreneurship experience up until that point? Well, you know, I think an entrepreneur is really somebody who keeps getting back up even after they get knocked over. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, it, a lot of it is just 
persistence. And for me, you know, I was, I'm a, like I said at the beginning, a real nature person. Um, and I love to be outside and I was a mom um, at the time. And I felt a little bit like a poser in the corporate world. You know, I could do it, but it didn't feel, it didn't feed my, really my wanting to make a difference. It's kind of it like code really switching good. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It felt really good to, to, you know, do my side gig and, and I really prioritized it, even though I, you know, we didn't make very much money with, with Bodylish. Most of it goes back into the company when you're growing a company, you know, and even at high bar, you know, we're, we're the lowest paid people in the company. It's like, we're not here to make money. We're here to grow this business and make a difference in the world. So the corporate, I, the corporate thing, I, I could do it, but I sure was glad to go out on my own. And really that was my motivation and also the flexibility, you know, to be raising kids when you're doing your own thing is a lot easier. I could bring them with me if I had to. So that was a motivator for me as well. No, that's great. You know, in, in that amount of time, 26 years between, you know, now and, and the beginning of Bodylish, how have you seen the e-commerce industry change or evolve in that time? Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I can't believe how much has changed. I mean, when we started Bodylish, we the only way you could really get in front of people was like at a farmer's market. And now Instagram and uh, TikTok are such amazing marketing vehicles. So that has changed tremendously. I mean, when we started Bodylish, there weren't even cell phones. Well, there was, I remember I had a car phone that came Flip in phones. like a suitcase. <laughs> it came in a suitcase. <laughs> yeah. yeah, things have really changed. And, you know, just in kind of how you talk about how you've navigated, you know, innovating without plastic, the way you approached Ward. I mean, for the lack of being pejorative, it feels more like an old school mentality where it's like, I got an idea, we try it and we innovate. It doesn't work. We just figure out a way compared to, I know a lot of entrepreneurs who, while I see a lot of value in it, don't get me wrong, go to a bunch of like networking seminars and are on boards and, and pretty much immerse themselves in e-commerce so that they can do YouTube videos, learn from YouTube videos, and just kind of are using all this auxiliary knowledge that's easily at our access, at our at our fingertips. Right. But it, it sounds like the way that you did it was head down, do it, you know, and 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 just keep figuring it out, which I respect because. I don't know. I feel like the only way to actually see if it works is to try it out a few times. Like we can research <laughs> and plan as much as we want to, but I, I do think that there is no real replacement for successfully failing, if that makes any sense. Right. I think you're right. And and for me, honestly, you know, I don't have the tech skills that I see, you know, my kids or younger, younger employees have. Like mm -hmm. I wish I was better at it because I do think it's highly valuable, but the amount of time it would take me to get, you know, fluent on some of the technology is like, it's too big of a beast for me to take on. And, and it's easier for me to just, you know, keep, keep doing what I'm doing or, or try, you know, try different things. No, that's cool. And, and it does also sound like you surround yourself with people who fill in those different puzzle pieces. So I, I always respect someone who who's willing to say, I'm not good at this thing. So I need to find someone who is, you know, right. I've, I've kind of seen differing statistics 
on on the internet with a little bit of research about gender demographics in the e-commerce industry. One article that I read said essentially 61% of e-commerce owners are women, while another one I found said that 56% are male. And I keep finding these different numbers and different statistics. So from your experience, do you feel that e-commerce is more male or female dominated Or is it really not even that binary as maybe other industries are? So we consider ourselves a beauty company because we are salon quality or spa quality for our face wash. And I would say from our numbers, it's 85% women that are purchasing from our site. I think it's still women from the beauty perspective anyway. That's just my my experience. So I I, I think you're right. <laughs> I think those that data is right. I, I do think it's mostly women that are the purchasers. That are the purchasers. What what, what do you think about the owners? Because that's kind of where I've seen a lot of disparity in oh, the, owners. The, the ownership. So just to expound a little bit, I thought about it. And I think that I'd love to get your opinion on it. In other industries... Wage inequality has been notable with women, you know, sometimes infamously getting paid less. And do you think that the more equal gender demographics of something like e-commerce is a result of more women entering this space and starting their own businesses to bypass these potential wage gaps in other industries? Well, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I also think Part of what I was saying earlier, you know, this is just my experience, but for me, having my own thing so I could have flexibility with the kids is huge. I mean, in my corporate job, if I had a sick kid, you know, I had to find somebody to cover the sick kid because I can't miss work. Whereas when your own thing, you know, you can, you can just handle the sick kid and handle work at the same time, which maybe with COVID and there being more flexibility to work from home, that solved that problem for some people. But for me, the flexibility was such a big piece of it, more than the money. You know, the statistics still show, like I'm the company president, you know, there aren't very many women at C-level in companies. There's still way fewer. And I just read, I think finally in the top companies in the nation, now it's up to 10% women in the C-suite. So 10%, that that is not that much. So women being in these positions is still an opportunity, you know, for growth. And I have heard, you know, in fact, I just watched Shark Tank the other day. And one of the sharks said, I can't remember which one it was now, but he said, all the businesses that I've invested in that are run by women, are profitable. And you know, that's the, those are the ones I'm making the most money on. The person that was being interviewed or for, for the Shark Tank was like, well, it was a woman that she's like, yeah. So I do think there there is something to women being good business managers. I'm not saying, you know, men are good too, but but women aren't being given as many opportunities to do it. No, that's a great that's a great answer. And you know, I've I've also seen infamously that the tech industry has been pretty famous for being a a male dominated industry in the past. But while I think there have been some changes to it, um, the tech one is is the big one that jumps out at me. And you know, since e commerce is practically tech meets finance, do you feel that you've had to deal with any sort of adversity as a woman in this space that maybe men might not face, or is that not even a factor, honestly? Experiencing experienced that too much, but um, I have been in meetings where you know I go. My, my partners are men, and if you go in with a partner, they assume 
that that's the person leading the company, even though it could be me. Generally, the conversation goes to the man first, but I don't think that, well, and another example is that I'm also, I've, I've worked with a coach a little bit to help me present my ideas in to my, you know, partners that are men in more of a, in a way that can be heard, heard better. So my approach is very generally feminine and I'm working on approaching it, you know, just a little bit different way. And I think that what I mean by feminine is that maybe I'm not as confident or I don't know quite what it is, but so I'm just trying to like, you know, one of the things I do is I physically put my hands on the table and, and try to be more commanding is maybe the word I'm looking for, but to really make sure that I'm being heard because I don't always feel heard in, in some of those conversations. But I think that's on me, you know, like I think it's on anybody who's interacting with somebody else to learn the methods that are going to get through to them. You just have to be aware and then try to improve your approach is when you're faced with something that you're not sure how to handle. And I, I totally agree. I think that there is actually, you know, a lot of value to knowing all of your options and ways to navigate, you know, essentially when I'm trying to speak with someone, sell my idea, I just think of sales automatically. And it's like, sometimes your audience would benefit and you would benefit more from being assertive versus say like a soft sell where, where it's kind of like, Hey, I got this idea. Right. I'd love to hear your, you know, opinion on it. Where that—that's kind of what I'm hearing when you say feminine is—is is kind of more of a soft approach versus kind of maybe an assertive approach. And I think there's totally value in both because you're you're meeting so many different complex people every day. I could imagine that there is a huge benefit of actually going to a coach. I think everyone should should be able to, because I bet there's some men out there that probably don't know how to soft sell. They're just used to convincing people that my idea is the best or something like that. Um, and there are women who probably do that too. And I'm just saying it's it's, it's a lot more complex right, than right. how we I might be pigeonholing it. And I, I think there's a lot of value in an entrepreneur or a business owner going to a coach and saying, hey, I feel like I'm not being heard. What can I do different? Yeah. And you know, with only 10% of women being in the C-suite in our nation, there is, un people are not aware of some of the biases that they might have. So as more women are entering the tech field and, and other fields, everybody's going to have to learn a new way of communicating with each other because, you know, it really is a different approach. No, absolutely. How has it been working with your husband? I mean, it sounded like you you guys started working together before you got married. How's that experience been like? That's That's not something that we hear much nowadays. I feel like it's usually one way or the other. It's not necessarily, you know, the 1950s where the woman stays at home and the guy goes to work. I mean, sure, there are some relationships that look like that, but very rarely do do I, I feel like we hear of a couple working together, let alone leading a company together. What's that experience been like? It's really interesting. You know, we've had so many years working together that we have figured out a way to do it. But I think the best way to put it is we we really come at things very differently, but we both know that they, we have each other's backs. So it, it's it's less frightening to tell, you know, say the opposite of what they think when you know in the end, you know, our priority is each other and, and our family. Um, and so in the end, it usually we land in the middle somewhere. So I think for the two of us, 
it's worked out really well, but I, I noticed that he and I have a relationship that's probably different than some marriages in that it's very much a partnership. It's very much, we come, we both come at it with, with equal contribution, I, I would say, and we value each other for that rather than one person kind of being the lead and the other person following. It also, you know, leads to some challenges, obviously, uh, especially for employees sometimes because they may hear one thing from me and a different thing from him. And so we have to, you know, come together and say, okay, well, <laughs> we got to land in the middle uh, on this one and, and explain where we are to everybody else. But um, having kids has really helped that because we have to parent the kids together too. So we kind of learned like they'll come around to dad and ask if they get the answer they don't want from me. And so we have to get on the same page. <laughs> I feel like most kids do that. <laughs> I know I know most employees do that every They're now smart. and then. I know plenty of jobs that I've worked at where I say <laughs> no. And so they just go to someone else and ask for something. Do you think that working together has actually strengthened your marriage and your relationship? Because that's actually kind of what I'm hearing a little bit is that y'all can put ego to the side, best idea wins. And when you actually take that mentality at home, that creates a much more selfless relationship in general. Yeah, I, I think it has. I mean, for us, and, and we're both as as committed to it as the other person, we probably, you know, different times had different commitment level uh, when you're like when we were raising kids. I think the kids would come to me if, if they needed a dentist appointment or a doctor's appointment or things like that. But, you know, now we've really worked it all out. And I do think it has strengthened our relationship and, and made it better. It's, it's been so many years together now. Now we work in the same office and we go home at the same time, you know, and it, it's it's a lot of togetherness, especially during COVID. But we really enjoy our time together. So and and when we are not working, we really try to go off and not mm -hmm. talk about work. Like we went snowshoeing this weekend. Like, let's not talk about work. Let's just go out and explore. Well, that's great because that actually is a perfect segue into my final question. I always end the interview essentially about how I know, understand the e-commerce industry is pretty 24-7. A, a lot of people who work in this space are go, go, go. There's not a lot of free time, but I also think that there is a lot of value, especially in entrepreneurs who are leaders in showing the healthy work-life balance and the importance of mental health. So what do you do in your free time to promote a healthy work-life balance? Oh, well, we just love nature. I think mm -hmm. I mentioned that a hundred times so far. So for us, we love to, you know, go out camping and hiking and snowshoeing and um, being in nature. Just, you know, it, especially when uh, you can't get cell service, you know, you can really unwind. Nobody's looking at their phone. You can just listen to the birds. Like this weekend when we went uh, snowshoeing, we were in the woods. And I even said to my husband, Jay, I said, the sound in here, it's like, a, it is like a bath for your ears, a sound bath of, you know, just listening to the wind and the trees and the birds and there's snow on the ground. And so it's kind of insulated. And that to me, when you can completely unwind and forget all of the work, even if it's just for 12 hours, it, it makes such a huge difference. So just escaping somewhere. But I also, when I can't get out of cell service, you know, I'm, I'm a big person that I like to meditate or I like to, it's called rebounding a little tramp and I dance on my 
tramp. It's pretty weird. Looking. Like a little trampoline. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how I kind of like at the end of it, I end my day jumping on the tramp after I get home from work before dinner time. That's great. And I, I didn't it even really, really helps, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, I didn't even really think about that until you said it is that a lot of the things that I like doing in my free time is like no phone stuff too, where it's like, I like playing soccer. It's not like you're going to be on your phone playing soccer or snowboarding. You tell someone I'm on the mountain today. You're not really bothering with your phone much yeah. that day. Yeah. I can't yeah. be reached. <laughs> you know, even when I'm watching a movie, I, I like the full experience. So I put my phone in another room or something like that. So I, that definitely resonates with me is what I'm trying to say. And I, I got, I got a trampoline for my, my son in the garage. Maybe I should start giving that a spin actually. <laughs> It's so fun. I just love it. And it, it, they say that, you know, it helps your whole, well, your whole system because it, it, the jumping somehow gets your body, your blood flowing through your, and it, it's just supposed to be an amazing exercise. I just love it. It's fun. Yeah. And, and, and fun is part of the point, right? So, <laughs> um, Nora, I really appreciate your time. It's been a blast chatting with you. It's been great. Any other closing thoughts or, or, or plugs you'd like to throw out there before we head out? I don't think so, but thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed talking to you and, and I love getting the word out about High Bar. Wonderful. Uh, we appreciate having you on the show, Nora. And until next time, good luck with your companies. <laughs> thank you. I'd like to thank my guest, Nora Shopper, for joining me on the show and tune in next time when I have the great fortune to sit down with the CEO of Beautify himself, Ricky Hayes. Ricky and I will talk about how to scale a business effectively, what makes a good team, the importance of feedback, and much, much more. For more information about Nora, you can connect with her on LinkedIn. And to learn more about High Bar, you can check out their website, hellohighbar.com, or follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hello High Bar, or at TikTok at High Bar Official or on YouTube at High Bar. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you come back to listen to our exclusive interview with Ricky Hayes later this week. Until then.